friends, it's your old pal Terry Thomas. Yes, I hope you enjoyed last week's movie that I was in. It was absolutely smashing, wasn't it? Yes, you can hear the gap in my teeth, can't you? What you have to understand is that this week we're doing a quite different movie altogether, but with somebody and some people that are quite as British as I am. You'll absolutely adore it. It's called Lords of Arabia, and it stars Peter O'Toole, who's very British himself, and I think you'll enjoy it. And I've heard that he was a homosexual in this movie, but I'm not sure, so keep watching and you'll find out. Have a grand day. This has been Terry Thomas. Rock on. Did he fart on his way out? I think he did. I think he just left a tree. He just, he crop dusted us on his <laughs> way out the door. <laughs> he just broke wind on his oh. way out. That's oh. just the kind of comedy Terry Thomas was famous for. Oh my God. And I hear that there's even a gap like in his butt cheeks. So yeah, it's going to spread quickly. Oh, poor guy. Oh. Unlike everyone else who have closed assholes. Closed asses. Yes. No, we all have closed assholes. It's, uh, it's when you take your first big <laughs> shit that you lose your ass hymen. <laughs> Hashtag closed asshole. That's right. Um, Jason, <laughs> you wouldn't know it from what we just talked about, but this is a podcast about British film. Really? That's what we're doing today. And you are Jason, as I, I said. And you are Brendan. I am Brendan. And this podcast is called For Screen and Country. And I just realized that if someone's tuning in for the first time, they probably don't know what we're saying when we say For Screen and Country. <laughs> but too bad. That's what you get. That's what you get. I'm starting this off hot. I'm Start gonna, back at the beginning, catch gonna, up, get all the in-jokes. I'm just going to yell at all the listeners right That's now right. for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> this is what you get for listening to us. How dare you? <laughs> so, um, so, but this podcast is a podcast, yes, an audio we, podcast. Where, where we talk about uh, various British films that were uh, considered pretty good by the British Film Institute on their list of pretty good British films <laughs> of the last 100 years. Is that what we're doing? Close. Okay. It's the top 100 British films. Which in this list was made in the year 1999. Mm-hmm. So the newest film on the list, I believe, is 98, mm-hmm. and the oldest one is the 1935. So, so in the last hundred years, sure. Yeah, that's that's a hundred. Good math. Thank you. <laughs> I'll give you all this extraneous information. BFI top 100. That is what we're talking about. Every week we talk about a different film on the list. If it's good, if it's classic, as people say, some cases it hasn't been. Yeah. If it if it holds up, if there are problematic things that stand out these days, as we saw with last week's film, a few things with that. We have a whole lot of fun on this show, folks, and you're in for a treat. I'm doing it as if this is the first episode yeah. we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but every now it could then, be it could be it, every episode is somebody's first episode. You know so what? If this is your first episode, thank you for tuning in. Every now and then. Gotta do it. Gotta reintroduce the concept. Mm -hmm. But Jason, this week we're talking about a huge film. Huge! Both in scale and scope and length. But before we talk about that movie, and we are going to talk about it, don't worry! Oh, we will. We should read some comments from last week's film that we talked about. I'm alright, Jack. I'm alright, Jack. Don't have to worry about a thing. I love the part in the movie where the gopher dances around. Yeah, that was great. That's my favorite part of them, all right. And then Jack. And then you see the gopher union that he's part of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, very young Bill Murray in this movie. He's Jason. About three. Yes. <laughs> this may shock you, but we don't have. We have one comment. Well, that's fair. I mean, I can't imagine this is a widely watched movie in the modern era. Not a lot of people know what uh, I'm All Right Jack is. But. Um, we did have one comment, so I'm going to read you what uh, Adam Pellman thought of I'm All Right, Jack. Our old friend Adam Pellman. Oh, Adam Pellman. The Pelster. Pelster, Adam Pellman. Yeah. Writing comments. Yeah. I love this film, he says. Thanks, Write, Adam. Writes Adam Pellman. I thank you on behalf of Peter Sellers and the rest. Uh, I hadn't heard of it before the BFI list came out, and I took the opportunity to watch it on Filmstruck before it shuttered. It's so hilarious, with two of my all-time favorite comedic Brits, Peter Sellers and Terry Thomas, at the top of their game. 
What really impressed me, though, was how even-handed the film is and its depiction of the labor struggle. I was expecting the greeny owners and management to be the clear-cut bad guys, Mm -hmm. but the film is just as critical of the union leaders, so both sides come away as completely self-serving. And it's interesting too, uh, like this. This was what nineteen fifty or nineteen forty nine. Nineteen fifty nine. Okay, so this this was before um, the trade union shit in the eighties. Um, yeah, the shit. Yeah, the the famous winter of discontent in nineteen seventy nine. I think is that Shakespeare? No. Well, yes, it's from Shakespeare. But no, that was a winter where the unions were. There was a lot of strikes and a lot of services were at a commission because of these strikes. It was also one of the coldest winters. Um, they'd had in a while since I think the early 60s so it was a rough winter and uh, it may have been the impetus for Margaret Thatcher going after the trade unions when she was elected uh, and pretty much doing what Reagan did in the states and murdering most of those unions fuck you Margaret Thatcher and fuck you Ronald Reagan I'm glad you're both dead yeah I said it now they died naturally so they got full lives so I mean I'm not saying I wish that they were killed I'm just saying I'm glad they're dead wow well there you have it uh, Ronald Reagan Jr., get at us. See, Ronald Reagan Jr., though, he's cool. He's an atheist. But he likes his dad. No, I mean, he, why wouldn't he? He's his dad. I mean, I'm just saying. I'll let him slide on that one. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let him get... I'll let him have him. some love for his father. Yeah. What a, what a fucking gentleman you yeah, are. But to be fair, I mean, I, I would... But to be fair, I would have loved to have met Ronald Reagan. He would have been a fascinating guy, I'm sure. He was very charismatic and would have been interesting as shit to talk to. And we could have eaten jelly beans together. I mean, and we can both agree that he handled the AIDS crisis very well. Absolutely perfectly. He also did say one of my favorite things ever, which was when he was uh, at the podium and he didn't realize the cameras were on. He goes, well, we've solved the Soviet problem forever. Uh, or, or we, we solved the Soviet problem. The Soviet empire is now illegal. The bombing begins in five minutes. <laughs> Oh, Ronnie. So that's it. So we're going to move right on to our next, our last section here. We're going to compare this movie, uh, which is number 47 on mm-hmm. the BFI Top 100. I'm all right, Jack. Yep. To number 47 on the AFI Top 100. Let's do it. So on the AFI, we have A Streetcar Named Desire. I have not seen that movie. Neither have I. I only know of it from The Simpsons. Stella. I, I know of it because I'm a man and or I, you're a girl and I'm a fella. Something, something, something. Stella. You know, <laughs> Ned. Ned, when we, when we learn that Ned uh, Flanders is jacked. Yeah. Classic episode of The Simpsons. Um, John is, Lovett's also in that one. This is the Elia Kazan, Marlon Brando movie on the AFI list that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. I have seen On the Waterfront, but I have not seen this one. So I guess by default, I'm all right, Jack. It's the walks away the victor. That's right. Good good job, Peter Sellers and company. Pe- Peter Sellers, D-E-F dot Marlon Brando. That's right. <laughs> so with that being said, Jason, let's go into our episode this week where we are going to be talking about a legendary epic film one of the greatest of all time Brendan Lawrence of Arabia So, for once, Jason, I can unironically say, and that iconic theme can only mean one thing, we're talking about number three, number three on the three. BFI Top 100. We're According, right, we're right in, the, in the, the holy trinity of British films. Yeah. 
This is according to the British Film Institute. This is the third best British film of all time. 1962's Lawrence of Arabia, our third David Lean film, and I think it's interesting that the three David Lean films we've done so far have been his epics. Yes, his his most well-known films for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it gives off the impression because I always thought David Lean just did epics. So yeah. we'll learn later, of course, there are some other films in his repertoire that were, did not really fit this bill. No. But that is what we were talking about. we got an all-star cast here, Jason. Peter O'Toole as our title character, T.E. Lawrence. And as we've, uh, I believe, the only film he's in on this list, if, yeah. uh, so far as we can tell. The only one. But that is not to be said about our next person in this movie, Alec Guinness as Prince Faisal. I believe this is the third film we've done with him. Yes, he's one of our all-stars. Uh, Anthony Quinn as Adu- <laughs> Auda Abutai. Yes. <laughs> sure. Okay. First appearance from him. Uh, Jack him. Hawkins is back. Another all-star. As General Allenby. Uh, Omar Sharif in the second and final film. We'll talk about with him on this list. Dr. as Vago himself. Yep. As uh, Ali. Or Sheriff Ali. Which, when they said Sharif in the movie, I was like, did that guy just accidentally call him by his real name? <laughs> uh, Jose Ferrer playing a Turkish bay for five minutes of this movie. Star Trek uh, veteran and uh, father of the late Miguel Ferrer, whom you might remember from Robocop, among other movies. Oh. Yeah. What did he play in Robocop? He was the, one, he was the coked up guy. He was the, the dude that was doing coke with the prostitutes when Clarence Boddicker comes in and goes, bitches, leave. Anthony Quayle as Colonel Brighton. Claude Rains, a.k.a. the Invisible Man, uh, as Mr. Dryden. And finally, last but not least, our old pal, our old buddy, Donald Wolfett, is playing General Murray. Yes. What was he in? He was uh, Room at the Top. Oh, right. And Life at the Top. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Okay. Of course, yes. The Fat General from the beginning of the movie. Very be- Well, I mean, we see him for what? All of two minutes? Uh, is in like two scenes, yeah. I actually ended up reading the Wikipedia article on that character. <laughs> I ended up reading that uh, person. Donald Wolfett was apparently a piece of shit. Oh. And nobody liked working with him. And he oh. had a huge feud with John Gilgood. And 95% of people apparently thought John Gilgood was a much nicer person. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so there we go. Donald Wolfett. So Jason, this is a daunting task it I'm is. bestowing upon you. But let's try to be as non-specific as possible. What is Lawrence of Arabia about this three-hour and 42-minute long movie? Uh, maybe less if you discount the overture and the intermission, but pretty close. Don't yeah. you dare skip the overture and the intermission. <laughs> so, yeah, this this is a World War One epic. Uh, so, right out of the gate with this movie, we watch uh, T.E. Larry Lawrence, uh, which is what all his friends call him. Uh, me being one of his friends. The Eternal Lawrence. The Eternal Lawrence, yes. So uh, uh, Larry manages to kill himself right out of the gate on his motorcycle. he does it for a good reason because he is coming over a dip in the road and he doesn't notice some boys riding their bikes on the side and he tries to avoid them, but no, he wrecks his motorcycle and dies. And then we go straight to his funeral where we see a number of different people milling about and chatting about him and and their memories of him and uh, we see... Many characters that we will see later in the movie, including one gentleman that claims to have shooken his hand once. Well, do you want to hear some of these memories? Yeah, let's these hear are, some of these memories of Lawrence. These are characters reminiscing on Lawrence as a, uh, a I guess, a journalist is yes. walking around. Yeah. Lord Allenby, could you give me a few words about Colonel Lawrence? What more words? The revolt in the desert played a decisive part in the Middle Eastern campaign. Uh, yes, sir, but about Colonel Lawrence himself. No, no, I didn't know him well, you know. Uh, Mr. Bentley, you must know as much about Colonel Lawrence as anybody does. Yes, it was my privilege to know him. 
and to make him known to the world. He was a poet, a scholar, and a mighty warrior. Thank you. He was also the most shameless exhibitionist since Barnum and Bailey. You, sir, who are you? My name is Jackson Bentley. Ah. Well, whoever you are, I overheard your last remark, and I take the gravest possible exception. He was a very great man. Did you know him? No, sir, I can't claim to have known him. I once had the honor to shake his hand in Damascus. Knew him? No, I never knew him. He had some minor function on my staff in Cairo. So that's, of course, General Allenby, Jackson Bentley, and then uh, General Murray at the end, who, of mm. course, we said Donald Wolfett. Yeah. Uh, kind of reminiscing, which will become a little bit funnier later once you realize their connections with Lawrence. So we head back in time to the to World War One because that uh, Lawrence's death was in 1933. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Whatever. It was in the 30s, anyways. Um, 2011. Yeah. <laughs> so we go back in time to World War One, and he's a Larry. Larry's a weird guy. He's a strange fella. He's a bit of a weird bird, they might call him. He, uh, he's, he's educated, sure, but he doesn't seem to have uh, much regard for authority, which is a real problem in the army, I would mm. say. Um, he's very, he's kind of cocky. Yeah, he's cocky. Kind of, kind of a shit. Yeah, he's kind of a dickhead. He's like uh, showing off by putting matches out with his fingers. Oh, the, the trick is that you just don't mind that it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> but he is uh, he's put to use when Mr. Dryden, the invisible man himself, Claude Rains, sends him on a mission to the Middle East. His job, assess the feasibility of the Arab revolt and whether it could be another thorn in the side of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire, of course, uh, allied with Germany and Austria-Hungary and Italy. Uh, I think, Italy, I don't know, Italy switched sides at one point. Doesn't matter. I thought the Ottoman Empire was the empire owned by the bus driver and the Simpsons. You would think that. Yeah. But turns out, I, I did some reading, what? not the case. What? No. They'd actually been around for a real long okay, time. Okay, this movie makes more sense now. And in fact, you might even want to say they're like the last vestige of the Roman Empire. Huh. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> I thought Matt Green... My name is Otto, and I like to get Blatto. So he arrives in the desert. Yes. And he meets with a guide, Tafas, who's charged with taking him to see Prince Faisal, who is the leader of the uh, Hashemites? Yes. He's the leader of the Hashemite tribe, and he's trying to get this uh, revolt going against the uh, Turks. colonial, the Turks, the yeah. colonial overlords, part of the Ottoman Empire, and enemies to the British. Uh, so they kind of become friends, and we get to see a lot of shots of the desert as they walk through the desert. That's the thing about this movie, too, folks. Like, I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite movies, but if you cut out a lot of the scenery in this movie, it'd probably be about two hours long. <laughs> We there see are, a lot of scenery. In there this movie. are very, 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 very long tracking shots. Mm-hmm. There are very long, st- like shots where the camera does not move mm-hmm. while you see something slowly coming over the distance. And the thing is, it's so goddamn beautiful that you hardly notice. It is. It is just so beautiful. So they become friendly, and he and he goes to the point where he gives him his pistol. Now, I think this is partly as a gift, but also partly because Lawrence doesn't seem like the type of guy that really wants to do any killing if he can avoid it. Right, at uh, this point. Yeah, he's definitely not. He's, he, he seems like a bit of a, a frail gentleman when it comes to that sort of thing. And so he gives him his pistol. He's very happy about it. It's a Webley. It's a, it's a quality British pistol. Um, and they stop at a well uh, to have a drink because they're in the desert, and they need to rehydrate. And while they're there, they see a little dot on the horizon. It's just a little dot, and it's one of the most famous scenes in cinema, Brendan. This little dot, they're looking at, you can see the haze of the mirage. Just that that kind of looks like water in the distance, like steam rising. And you just see that little dot slowly get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it looks like a man riding a horse across water. Wait a second, Jason. That little dot bears a striking resemblance to 
Omar Sharif. That's because it is Omar Sharif. What? In the guise of Sheriff Ali, who is the brother of Prince Faisal. And, uh, oh, I didn't who even I didn't is even know the, that. We learned the owner of the well. Yeah. And he rides up, and upon seeing him, little Tafas runs over and grabs the pistol, but Ali quickly shoots him with his rifle. And when queried by Lawrence as to why uh, Ali shot uh, his guide, he said he is not allowed to drink at the well. He's from a different Arab tribe. He's from a different tribe. And he goes, well, wh- why didn't you shoot me? He goes, because you are allowed to drink at the well at my pleasure or whatever he says. I mean, yeah, he's basically like his only beef is with the other Arab tribes. Yeah. And then he like wishes him well and <laughs> takes off. But Lawrence, uh, Larry, our old boy, makes it to the camp and meets with Colonel Brighton, who's another officer that's been there liaising with the Arabs and kind of fills him in on the situation. Um, and they are going to meet with Faisal. Now, Colonel Brighton says to, La- uh, to Larry, basically, come on, dude, just keep your mouth shut. Let me handle this. Yeah. I'm here for the military advice. You're here just to be the second. Exactly. You're here to look pretty. You're very pretty. You got those eyes. Just be pretty. He is pretty. He's very pretty. So they sit down and uh, Larry goes about and actually voices his actual opinions to Prince Faisal. Mm. And much to the chagrin of Colonel Brighton, but Faisal is impressed with him. He's happy that he's giving him his actual, you know, opinion. Let's take a listen. Let's hear some of that. I think you are another of these desert-loving English. That is... Stanop, Gordon of Khartoum. No Arab loves the desert. We love water and green trees. There's nothing in the desert. No man needs nothing. Or is it that you think we are something you can play with? Because we are little people, a silly people, greedy, barbarous, and cruel. What do you know, Lieutenant? In the Arab city of Cordoba were two miles of public lighting in the streets when London was a village. Yes, you were great. Nine centuries ago. Time to be great again, my lord. Which is why my father made this war upon the Turks. My father, Mr. Lawrence, not the English. But my father is old. And I... I long for the vanished gardens of Cordoba. However, before the gardens must come the fighting. To be great again, it seems that we need the English or... Oh. What no man can provide, Mr. Lawrence. We need a miracle. And that voice can be no one else but our old friend Alec Guinness. Arabian actor Alec Guinness. Yeah, he's uh, he's browned up a bit in this role, <laughs> sure. Is, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And we know we talked about the many instances of brown face before. And but he's not the only one in this movie. This is certainly one of the more respectful portrayals of, <laughs> uh, of a person of a different ethnicity. This uh, is not even Esmond Knight in Black Nurse. Well, no, that was that was silly. That yeah. was like, comedically insane. But anyway, so the credit to Alec right. Guinness because he is so goddamn compelling in this movie. He's so good. I mean, he's great anyways, but just something about him in this movie He's just so on the ball. He makes Faisal such a sympathetic character and interesting and intelligent and, 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 you know, a guy who clearly understands the world and what's going on. So recently they've had a major defeat and uh, Colonel Brighton is advising that maybe they should retreat, regroup, you know, kind of pull themselves back together so that they can go back out. But Lawrence has a much bolder plan, Brendan. What is that plan, Jason? His plan is that they cross the Great Nafud Desert, which is... Hundreds and hundreds of miles of open, empty desert. Huge. Just death. Yeah. Cross that desert, 
to the port of Aqaba, mm-hmm. which is a strategically important port, which is guarded by 12-inch naval guns uh, that are blocking any access by the fleet. So he suggests they go across the desert and attack them from the rear where they'll have minimal defenses because they are bordered by a massive desert. So they don't expect anybody to attack them from there. Right. Um, And on the other side is water, right? Yeah, it's water. So they have no way to kind of escape. Yeah. If they're they're cornered. Well, I mean, exactly. It's either the desert or water. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, they don't have a way to quickly get away. This attack has to succeed or they all die. Uh, And so, yeah, Faisal is down with that. Yeah. He thinks that's a good idea, and he's willing to give him 50 men to do it. Uh, Which we should note, like, the craziness of this mission. Yeah. Because they're going after a place that has something like 2,000 men. I don't think it's that many. I think it's more like 300. Oh, I thought they had said 2,000. I don't think it's, yeah. Well, they, it's a lot more than what they it's have. It's more than they have, for and, sure. But they're banking on the fact that once they get through the desert, they can uh, find other tribes to join them. Uh, namely, one run by uh, Auda Abu Tai. The Howitat, yes. yes. The Howitat tribe that Auda is... Uh, Led by totally Arabian actor Anthony Quinn. Absolutely, the, the Italian-Jewish-Arabian actor. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they're getting ready to set out and, and Ali lays it out for Larry. He says, look, he says, we got to get across this desert. Uh, if the camels die, we die. And these camels are going to start dying in 20 days. Yep. So we need to get there. And are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yep. So it's grueling. But they managed to do it because they're all tough. And I guess Lawrence is tougher than he thought. Yep. Uh, but on the on the ride there, as they're getting close to the end of their journey, they notice that one of the camels is empty. That somebody had fallen off. And Ali's like, yeah, we're not going to get him. And Lawrence is like, no, I am going to get him. I'm going to go get him because that's what I do. And he's like, you're stupid. You're going to die. And this is all going to be for nothing. And he's like, fuck you. I'm going. And so he goes. And at this point, he has those two servants. Yeah, this, well, I, right? I don't mention them as much in the in the servant. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. D- Dowd and... Uh, Faraj. Faraj, yeah. Are two young men who had uh, insisted on being his servants. And uh, he eventually uh, decided... They're to like take, to take them into his service. Honestly, they're kind of comic relief, and they kind of remind me of like C three PO and R two D two in a way. Like just yes. the fact that they're just kind of there along for the mission. Yeah. And and the man that kind of oversees them, Gassim, uh, he's the man that fell off the yes. the uh, the camel. So Lawrence goes out after them, and um, uh, Dowd goes with him just to kind of wait for him to come back. And sure enough, he finds Gassim, puts him on his camel, and brings him back. And, of course, there's a nice scene of celebration as Dowd sees him, and they go back to the camp, and there's much celebration. He's, like, earned the respect of all these people. And we first learn Lawrence's catchphrase, nothing is written. Right. Because Ali said it was written that this man would die in the desert, and nothing is written, says Lawrence. I will get him. And he did. And everybody's very happy. Very happy. The end. Okay. Well, let's get into the background (laughs) of this film. Uh, No, there's more. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, uh, so for doing this, uh, Ali gives uh, Lawrence a set of authentic Arabic robes, white robes, the robe of a sheriff. And he goes off into the desert and is playing around in them because he's very happy with them and he's twirling about. Feels accepted. He feels accepted, yeah. And then he runs into Auda. <laughs> yes. Who's just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, he almost kills him because he's drinking from the well, from his well. Yes. And he thinks at first that he's just an Arab, but then when he sees his face, he's like, oh, clearly you're not. Oh, you're British with your blue eyes. And then Peter O'Toole looks at his face. He's like, are you, though? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> oh, I'm an Arab here. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. So, uh, so after some posturing between them uh, and, and a visit back to the camp, uh, Auda is convinced to join them for the promise of some loot. 
and that's enough to get him to go along with him. So he, <laughs> so he brings his massive uh, horde with him. Uh, I don't know if horde's the right word. Uh, uh, host, I suppose, would be a better word. Actually, before we go any further, because this is about an hour and a half into the movie, because yeah. like I said, we, we're breezing through this thing. I just I do want to play the, the clip of how he kind of convinces Auda to join them, because I love this bit of like Please manipulation do. here. I carry 23 great wounds, all got in battle. 75 men have I killed with my own hands in battle. I scatter, I burn my enemies' tents. I take away their flocks and herds. The Turks pay me a golden treasure, yet I am poor because I am a river to my people. Is that service? And yet now it seems Auda has grown old and lost his taste for fighting. It is well you say it in my tent, thou tulip. Yet this is a tulip that the Turks could not buy. Why should they wish to? Now, I will tell you what they pay me, and you will tell me if this is a servant's wages. They pay me month by month, 100 golden guineas. 150, Alder. Who told thee that? I have long ears. And a long tongue between them. 100, 150, what matters? It's a trifle. A trifle which they take from a great box they have. In Aqaba. In Aqaba? Where else? You trouble me like women. <laughs> Friends, we have been foolish. Aldo will not come to Aqaba. No. For money. No. For Faisal. No. Nor to drive away the Turks. He will come. Because it is his pleasure. Thy mother mated with a scorpion. That's my favorite line. But yeah, so you learned also here that Lawrence has great like manipulation powers mm -hmm. because he he turns that into like, oh no no, Auda, I know you're not doing it for money. You're not a servant. No no no, you're doing it for the pleasure, and that's why I think you should do it. That's why you think you should help us for the pleasure of it because I know that's what you want. Like he's very <laughs> smart. Yeah. Oh no, Lawrence is Lawrence is sharp. He yeah. he. I think that's what in real life and in the movie leads to success is that he better understands the Arabs than I think other British officers do. Not to say that he totally understands them, but he's got a better handle on them. He's than... also got less, uh, he's got less, uh, he's got less racial hangups. Yeah. Less prejudice against them just yeah. because they're Arabs. They just, yeah. Cause a lot of British officers would just have, take that view that, Oh, they're just Arabs. They're barbaric. They're yeah, cruel. They're savages, they, whatever. They don't know anything about it. Well, and actually at one point in the movie, I, I don't know. I don't remember where it is, but I want to mention it now before I forget it. There's that part in the movie where Ali says, uh, where they're, I don't know if it's after one of the massacres or somebody's like, uh, they're going to think we're crazy. They're going to think we're savages. Who but the Arabs, they will say. Uh, yeah. And that he understands the necessity of, of image in this world, especially when you've been cast as as this particular stereotype for so long. So the, he gets the he gets out on side with all his men and things are looking good. They're getting ready to do the attack. And then shit goes down. Uh, a man is shot and killed as part of an old blood feud that runs deep. And so uh, Lawrence is in the middle trying to trying to save everybody and 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 try to uh, 
quell this this rising that is going to happen. Yeah, because if, if shit doesn't happen, these two tribes are going to break up and you're going to have no one. Because the Hawatats are demanding justice, are demanding blood, demanding he be hanged, but the, the obviously the, the uh, Hashemites don't want to give him up. Uh, they don't want to like let them hang this guy. And so Lawrence goes to both sides and he says... He says to the the Howie Tats like he has to die, right? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, but he can't he can't be killed by them, right? And he's like, yeah. He's like, so I'll do it. So he goes, where's the man? And they bring him out the man, and it's Gassim, the, the man, man he... that he saved from the desert. Mm-hmm. And so Lawrence picks up his pistol and walks up to him and looks at him and shoots him. And, and you sh- could t- and I think he's a bad shot, right? Because he shoots well, like think, several times. I think if you notice before Gassim starts kind of writhing around on the ground, so I think Lawrence might miss him the first time. Let's, that's not, but he but I mean it happens he shoots like a he few shoots, times. He shoots about three shots, I think, before he hits him. Yeah. And then he empties about three more shots into him on yeah. the ground. And not not a clean execution, but it gets the job done. No. And then and then speaking of the nothing is written part, because we, I wanna play this clip because this is what happens immediately after. What ails the Englishman? That that he killed was the man he brought out of the Nefut. Ah, it was written then. Better to have left him. It was execution, Orans. No shame in that. Besides, it was necessary. You gave life and you took it. The writing is still yours. So yeah, I just wanted to point out that uh, yeah, he's, he's it was written. So this whole thing about like oh you know um, nothing is written, uh, but Gassim still had to die. But Gassim still had to die. Like they turned it around on him. Well, yeah. that man you just saved. Like what if you had not gone back, gone back and saved him? Would this have even happened? Yeah. Like that whole thing. And then uh, the thing that Ali says to Lawrence, like you give life and you take it away. It really sets up this whole thing that kind of runs through the movie. I think of him as like a Christ-like figure. Yeah, which. Um, it's funny because they definitely don't pretend he doesn't have flaws. No, absolutely. But he definitely is the in the classic like great white hope of oh, uh, he's British got, literature. I mean, he's literally, he's literally in white, draped in white. There's literally <laughs> scenes where he's got his arms outstretched like Jesus yeah. on the cross. Like it's it's yeah. right there, yeah. Yeah. So the next day the Arabs charge into uh, Aqaba. They're they're there. They're finally there. They charge in in one of the great scenes in cinematic history: a sweeping, tracking shot of just a horde of men on horses and camels. I don't even riding. Want to imagine how they got that. No, it's crazy, and and just so many people, just all riding straight into the town, full force. It's really cool, and they seize the town. We don't see like a full on battle. No, we don't need to bits of it. Uh, so they they take the town with little resistance, and Larry decides that he's going to head back to Cairo to inform the generals and takes. Uh, uh, Dowd with him. Yeah. Well, it takes both of them with them. Both of them. them. D- Dowd but... and, yeah. Um, and, yeah, on the way, Dowd ends up falling into some quicksand, yes. I think. And they attempt to save him, but they cannot, and he is sucked into the sand. Which I just want to make a little disclaimer right yes. now. N- never, <laughs> never scientifically accurate. Yeah. Quicksand in movies, you like, the chances of you actually dying and being completely enveloped in quicksand are next to none. Well, this whole movie has issues with accuracy, so... I mean, but this is just a, like, yeah. a movie-wide <laughs> yeah, a, thing a I movie want to trope. address right now. Like, quicksand... We may see it again. ...will probably not kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but they make it, and uh, uh, Larry goes into the officer's club, much to the chagrin, again, of the officers there, who... See him coming in looking like a dirty Arab. And they use a horrible, like, term. What's the term they use? Oh, a wog. They call him a wog. Yeah. Yeah, Dirty wog. Which is like any term for someone who's not white. Pretty much, yeah. 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 And uh, and they really don't want the kid in there because he's not a British officer. Once they realize who Lawrence is, that's one thing. But So he goes up and demands lemonade from the... uh, 
from the uh, bartender. And the bartender doesn't want to do it, but he eventually does it. And they, they down the lemonade and he goes to see the general. Um, and lets them know uh, what's going on. And wants reassurance from the general that the British have no colonial interest in, in the Middle East. Yeah, because that's one of Prince Faisal's... Uh, worries. Yes, he's worried that the British are going to get involved, as they often do, and that's a that's a legitimate worry because they have a history of doing that. That's sort of right. Thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Absolutely. Um, and the general says, "No, we're not going to do that." And he's like, "You tell me, and I will use your name. Th- this won't happen." And he's like, "Yeah, we're not going to. We we get no interest in it." Of course. Intermission. Intermission. But before we hit the intermission, Jason, a very important emotional point comes up here because Lawrence says, because he wants Lawrence to go back to the desert. And Lawrence doesn't think he's ready to do that. And he makes kind of a confession here that's very haunting. Yes. That leads right into the intermission. Absolutely. So I just want to play this before we go on. And if you are listening to the podcast, please pause it for five minutes at the intermission so you can uh, have the same feel of watching Lawrence of Arabia. I'm promoting you, Major. I don't think that's a very good idea. I didn't ask you. I want you to go back. Um... Carry on the good work. No. Thank you, sir. Why not? Well, I... It's... uh, Let me see. I killed two people. I mean, two Arabs. One was a boy. That was... Yesterday. I led him into a quicksand. The other was a man. That was... Before Akaba, anyway. I had to execute him with my pistol. There was something about it I didn't like. Well, naturally. No, something else. I see. Well, that's all right. Let it be a warning. No, something else. What then? I enjoyed it. Rubbish. Rubbish your nerves, you're tired. So that's a hell of a bomb to drop on this movie. And the general just responds with, oh, rubbish, rubbish, oh, tired. And for those of you wondering, this is not Donald Wolfett, by the way. Don, uh, general Murray has been replaced with General Allenby, played by Jack Hawkins, who yep. is the general now. Our man, our good guy, Jack Hawkins. Oh, Preacher Hawkins from Zulu. We love you. So that was the. So that's where the intermission comes in. We're two hours and 20 minutes in the movie at this point. Um, yeah, it's not halfway. No, it's, I like it's, that. It's it's at the place where thematically it should be. Yeah, it makes sense. It yeah. Makes sense. So now Larry has the Arabs in a full guerrilla war against the Turks. They are bombing railways left and right. It's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. They're knocking trains over. They're just robbing and looting them and causing trouble. And the reason they're doing, they're allowing this looting to take place is because they believe that Auda is not going to help them without some kind of quick reward like this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they have to keep keep the money, the loot coming in. And I believe they're losing troops. Like, as soon as they get these troops that are looting all these these trains and get all this money, a lot of those people are like, see ya. They're just like, we, we got what we needed, we're going home. And so he keeps having to bring in other people, and it's getting less and less and less. Yeah, it's getting less effective, uh, even though he's, like, managing to fool Turkish intelligence, actually, into thinking they even have a northern army yeah. uh, going on. So it's part of this this guerrilla war, and I don't know when it happens exactly. I don't remember because I didn't write it down. But we should mention that the other boy, 
Um, uh, it's around this point. It's around this point. Because this is like around when they, they're planning another train explosion. What was his name? Uh, Farage. Farage. Farage is, is uh, helping Lawrence set up the detonator on the... Yes. Uh, or set up the explosives on the railway to blow it up. And he puts the detonator for it in his... Uh, uh, like his belt or something? Yeah, like his belt or his pants. And so anyways, as they're going to set it up, he goes to get the detonator and he can't find it. And so Lawrence is like, we still have time. Go get another one. And so he gets up and he goes to run. And as he runs, the detonator goes off. See, I was confused about that because I thought the de- I thought now this is just me being ignorant, probably. Yeah. But I thought a detonator is literally just a button to push. No, what it is in this situation, and, and you notice earlier when when the guy has the box of it and he trips, and they're all like, "Oh fuck!" It's because I believe that those detonators would use like nitroglycerin, and nitroglycerin is very unstable, and so if it gets a good shake or a good jostle, it explodes. Okay. So that's why they were so scared when he dropped the box. Uh, but yeah, when he ran off to go get another dinner, he must have jostled it enough that it went off and it basically blew a hole in the side of him. Yep. And so and, Lawrence is basically forced to make a very tough decision. Yeah. As the train is coming and they don't have enough time to get it, he pulls out his pistol and he shoots the kid. Because unlike Bridge on the River Kwai, there's the, these people, these Turk, Turks or whatever, will not follow the Geneva Code. No. Well, it's, it's mainly because... I mean, no, what should, I should say, like Bridge on the River Kwai, yeah. they will not follow the Geneva Well, but the Japanese did take prisoners. They just didn't... Uh, they didn't particularly followed the Geneva Conventions as far as how they were yeah. supposed to be treated. Um, the difference here is, is that in that situation, uh, the British soldiers were, were soldiers under international law and are covered under the Geneva Conventions. However, irregular forces, uh, in other words, not forces in uniform, in, in this case, like the Bedouin guerrillas that are attacking the railways, are not considered soldiers, so they're not subjected to the same rules. So basically, there was a, a, a life of torture ahead of this kid until he was finally killed. Well, that's what I mean. Like, their, their, their thing here is, yeah, there's no Geneva Convention to follow. So if one of our men is gravely wounded and captured, there's a chance, A, well, the, well A, he's going to probably be killed. And B, there's a chance he's going to reveal some of our secrets. Yeah, he'll tell them anything they want to hear. That's just... Yeah. And, and more. And more, exactly. So Lawrence is basically forced to... The second person he's forced to kill of his own men. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, third, I guess, kind of, if you count the fact that he tried to save Dowd and then just said, well, there, there's no way we're going to... He didn't He didn't, He didn't. didn't lead Dowd into that sand pit intentionally, at least as far as we know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the raids are continuing, uh, and he's being made famous as a reporter from the Chicago Courier. Jackson yeah. Bentley. Old Bentley has come out to uh, keep an eye on him and take some pictures, uh, which, by the way, uh, Auda and many of the Arabs are not happy about. Well, they're, they're, they're doing the whole, uh, don't take my picture, steals my soul type yeah. thing. Yeah, which I, I don't know if that was an actual superstition of this tribe or just something that the writers came up with, but I've heard that that is a thing that some peoples in the world do not appreciate. I know it's a non-white thing, it but I don't, I don't know if it's thing. specifically this uh, this um, creed or race. Yeah, we don't know. But if, if, if there are any uh, uh, Hawitats out there that are listening, if you could let us know what the deal is on that. I mean, that's the only inaccurate thing in this movie, though. Yeah, it's the only one. <laughs> So, uh, and he's getting more, more and more bold, and Larry decides he wants to go scout uh, the local town where the Turkish Bay, played by our friend Jose Ferrer. Our uh, friend, yes. Our friend. Well, my friend, because I've watched Star Trek, and he was in there. Yeah, I have um, no idea. Uh, yeah, so he wants to go scout this town and kind of get a sense of it, so he goes with Ali, even though Ali's like, dude, you're you're a British guy, you're a white guy, and you got blue eyes. This is probably a bad idea. Yeah, he's, he's like, like no, just give me some Arab robes. Yeah, just give me some think- dirty Arab robes, and I'll be fine. I'll be dirty. You know, and so he's like, all right. And he gives him some robes. And they're really not that dirty, Brendan. No, I didn't think not. they were that dirty. They look perfectly fine to me. No, I was a little confused by this scene, honestly, because like he says he's trying to make himself announced. Yes. 
But then he clearly didn't want to be captured, no. so I'm not sure what he's doing here. I think he's just getting bold. He just wants his face to be seen around, maybe. Okay. Uh, but they, but he thinks, he's like, oh, I'll be invisible. And, of course, what happens? They almost immediately arrest him and Ali uh, when they get into town. And they take him in to meet the commander, uh, the bay. Uh, he's my bay. He's our, he's our bay. And he has a little chat with them, but eventually Lawrence kind of gets pissy with him and hits him. And the bay's not happy about that, and so he's like, yeah, just go torture the guy. And yeah. so they hold him down, and they start whipping him with a, um, a reed of some sort. It's just, a very sexual scene. It is very sexual, and and there's some uh, thought by historians that Lawrence himself may have been a masochist. Uh, he may have enjoyed pain, so this may have been, because he, apparently he was beaten by his mother as a child, and you know th- this may figure into his personality. Obviously, in the movie, it, it, it he, he doesn't, he might enjoy it for a couple strokes, but clearly doesn't after that because it traumatizes him pretty hard the first two strokes are always the best that's right that's right after that though it's, it gets old yeah <laughs> oh it takes me three strokes so they beat the fuck out of him while the bay stands back in the door and watches and then they dump him out into a pile of what looks like awful just like blood and and organs and just bodies whatever they just dump him out onto the street and ali finds him and retrieves him larry is hurting inside and outside he decides he's out brendan that's He's done. It. He's done. Larry's going home. I just want to be a normal guy again. I just want to have a normal desk job. I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. And Ali, this may be where the who but the Arabs thing is, where he's like, we've gone to come this far and you're just going to abandon us. And then they're going to look at us doing all this stuff and just, oh, look at these savage Arabs. Who but the Arabs, they'll say. Who but the Arabs. And this is also um, a scene where Lawrence points out his skin color yeah. and says, it's because of this yeah. that I don't. I can't help you. Like, the, like it doesn't matter what I what I think I can do. It's what I want based on who I am. Like, I'm a British person. I have to do. He's having that crisis of identity because he so wants to be an Arab. Yeah. Clearly, he wants to be part of this, but he knows that just his very nature doesn't allow that to happen. His yeah. very physical existence. He's a British soldier. He's a British soldier, and he's kind of falling into the old like. Well, that's what I'm supposed to be, so that's what I should do. Exactly. Heavens. Why? I've come to the end of myself, I suppose. And the end of the Arab revolt? I'm not the Arab revolt, Ali. I'm not even an Arab. A man can be whatever he wants. You said. I'm sorry. I thought it was true. You proved it. Look, Ali. Look. That's me. What color is it? That's me. And there's nothing I can do about it. A man can do whatever he wants. You said. He can, but he can't want what he wants. This is the stuff that decides what he wants. You may as well know, I would have told them anything. I would have told them who I am. I would have told them where you were. I tried to. So would any man. Well, any man is what I am. And I'm going back to Allenby. To ask him for a job that any man can do. Alam is in Jerusalem. I'll make easy stages. You? Oh, yes. Easy stages. Look, Ali. I think I see a way of being just ordinarily happy. And I take this. It is not clean. No, but it's warm. And these? 
having led them here? Have you no care for them? You lead them. They're yours. Trust your own people. And let me go back to mine. And so he, he manages to get out and heads back to Cairo. But when he's in Cairo, he doesn't feel like he should be there either. He feels completely out of place. He hasn't been there for so long. He hasn't been part of British society. It all just seems so weird to him. But they did put up a squash court. They did, yes, absolutely. I love how when he goes there, <laughs> he says, like, you know, clearly he's been through hell. Yes. And he says, like, anything new happened here? And they're like, but we did put up a squash court. And he's like, oh, great. Good job. <laughs> And then when he's walking away from him, he hears the guys, and they're like, oh, he's, he's put laid it on a bit thick, isn't he? And it's yeah. like, no, he's been through the ringer. Jesus Christ. So he goes to talk to the general. He's changed substantially. Uh, uh, but uh, Allenby wants him in the field because he knows he's useful. You know, He's proven it time and time again. He's a useful soldier, and he needs him because he needs to attack Damascus, which is the capital of Syria and is the Turkish stronghold, Ottoman stronghold. Yeah. They want to take the capital. And Lawrence is like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to go there first before you. And yeah, we're he does complete 180. It, I'm going to take it for the Arabs. He goes from, I don't want to do this anymore, just let me go home, to, we're going to do it. We're going to do it the best. See, we're going to get there first, and we're going to take it for the Arabs, and not for you nor anybody else, fella. Yeah. See? See? So uh, he decides to go back out, but also then he learns of the Sykes-Picot Agreement, which was an agreement between a between the French and the British over the future of what would later be known as Mandate Palestine, uh, which is that area of what is now Saudi Arabia and Israel and Jordan and Syria and Iraq and all that area there. Uh, and so he's not very happy about that because that was the one thing that Allenby told him is that no, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna do that. He lied. He lied. A British general lied. No, no, amazing. So, but he's going to do it. He's going to do it for the Arabs. They're going to take that city. And he goes and he assembles a new army, this time with coin. Because he manages to get just about as much money as he could possibly need from Allenby for this operation. And so he buys himself an army. And uh, Ali is a bit skeptical of the idea of... Well, uh, yeah, motivations yeah, are motivation of people now. fighting for coin. Because people exactly. fighting for coin aren't going to give their lives up for money. Right. So he's wondering about that. But... They head to Damascus, and on the road to Damascus, they discover the village of Tafa, mm -hmm. which has been massacred by a... Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Just, you can see dead women around the place. It just absolutely massacred by a retreating Turkish column, uh, which they can still see. They see it moving in the distance. And so uh, Lawrence is getting encouraged to attack. Yes, he's, he's encouraging attack in... Or he's being encouraged to attack in vengeance, and uh, but Ali's telling him to hold off. Because they, they got to go to Damascus. He's like, we have to go to Damascus. We can't be spending time taking out this Turkish column. Priorities, priorities. Priorities, exactly. Um, but one man suddenly puts on his, his gear, pulls his sword, and screams, and then runs out at them by himself. And he is running, and is like, who's that guy? And it's like, that was his village. Oh, and he gets gunned down. He gets gunned down immediately. He runs right up, and they just pull the rifles out and shoot him. Yep. Um, but then that's enough. Lawrence is down for this. And he just screams, no prisoners, no prisoners. And they all just run and charge in and just slaughter. And I would say this is like the the bigger battle scene yes. in this movie. Yes. Um, and in the real life, I just want to mention too, in the real life battle that this happened, in the real life attack and massacre, Lawrence was injured. He was thrown from his camel when he was riding along and he had his pistol in his hand and he went to shoot someone and he must have hit a dip because his 
pistol dropped and he shot his camel in the back of the head and oh. killed it and then immediately got thrown off. He thankfully for him he was thrown clear so his injuries were minor but he could have could have been killed. Yeah. Yeah, it was just so crazy the idea of him shooting his own camel in the head accidentally. Which is, which is funny because in the movie while they're shooting it Peter O'Toole actually fell off his camel during the scene. Yes. And <laughs> <clears throat> was nearly killed by a bunch of stampeding horses, but thankfully, where he landed, the camel was right in front of him, or he was right underneath the camel. So he was protected. So he was protected. So he was very lucky there, too. He's very lucky. Um, Not anymore. So they so they finish murdering all these people. They take... Uh, I, I, did they take... I don't think they do take any prisoners. They see no prisoners! prisoners. Um, yeah, because Lawrence is, like, all bloodied up and stuff. He clearly enjoyed himself. Yeah. But he's also regretful after the fact and, and traumatized again. Like, this is, you know, this was a brutal fight. Mm. So, then we cut to Damascus, where Allenby is arriving. And it turns out that Larry's already been there. The Arabs already showed up. They took the city and are now assembled in an Arab National Council. Uh, which is the, all the tribes. Which kind all of the tribes together. that came with them uh, are all assembled in the, like, town hall of Damascus. And Jason, why don't we just take a listen to see how well that's going? Sure, let's hear some of that. Let's, let's hear politics in action. And that the telephones had ceased to work. And this is true, Alder. They will not work because they are given no electricity. The electricity is in the care of the hurry. If you answer, there'll be bloodshed. You speak to me of bloodshed. I ask pardon of Oda Butai. Humbly. Humbly, Harry. Yes, humbly. This is a new trick. Why is there no electricity? I have been to that electrical house, Sorens. There are three large machines. He means generator. So, one of them is burned. They are of an incredible size, but helpless. It is so of all machines. Let them burn. What need of telephones? The need is absolute. Then we need the English engineers. No! Take English engineers and you take English government. Take... Fire has broken out. Where? The Jinzibi district. It is not a district that matters. It will spread. Then in God's name use the fire brigade. We have tried our ends, but there is no... Force in the water. Then you must carry it. The Ruella do not carry water. What else are they good for? So I just love, I just love that, like, I think this moment, I think this whole thing is meant to be kind of funny, mm. right? Because, you know, <laughs> there have been so many things like, well, why don't we just do this? Oh, we don't do that. Well, well what's going on with the telephones? We're not in charge of that. And it's not that far off from any situation, like, where you have sort of a revolution that happens. And this is a sort of revolution that they've kicked out the or even like Damascus. Even like a Congress hearing. Like, yeah. it's just so, like, crazy. Everybody's kind of at odds with well, each other. Well, that's it. And it's why so often when there is a revolution in, in a given country, almost without a fault, it's quickly followed by a civil war as, as the people of the country, Joss, to establish who's actually in charge. So that's what's going on there, but it doesn't seem to work out and everybody just leaves. And we see Lawrence left there alone with Ali uh, and this whole thing has fallen apart. So, yeah, administering the city isn't their strength. They take off and unable to get their shit together, the British come in and start restoring power and everything and basically take over the city, as was the plan all along. And Larry gets promoted to colonel. He's doesn't really seem to care very much. No. Uh, and actually later in his life, you'll see why. Um, and the ashes of his dream lays behind him in Damascus as he jumps in a Jeep and heads off into the desert. 
uh, and the man who's with him, he asks him where we're going. And he says, home, sir. We're going home. And then he just looks very haunted, and they drive off into the desert. He sees some motorcyclists going along and thinks, hmm, I'd like to ride those. And then the movie ends. Possibly to my death. Yes, possibly. Oh, I'd like to congratulate you, Jason, for not <laughs> taking three hours to get through that plot. Appreciate it. Give us a little bit of just context. a little bit, of, just a few notes about the history of this movie. So the the timeline of this movie from real life was all shifted around. A lot of things didn't happen exactly as they did in the movie. That I believe that massacre happens actually on the way to Aqaba instead of on the way to Damascus. In fact, the mo- that's where most of the battle takes place in this the, this attack. Aqaba itself was not nearly as important a town. It was important, but it didn't have huge naval guns there protecting the harbor. And actually, during their attack, there was a British fleet in the harbor that was supporting them. So they had that going. Uh, Lawrence's personality is debated by historians. He, he Peter O'Toole definitely gives him a bit of a gay edge. Uh, we get kind of this classic homosexual take on it. But uh, he actually, most of his friends seem to think that he was probably asexual. Yeah. That he wasn't really interested in sex at all. Um, but he was certainly a weirdo. <laughs> Everybody knew that. Um, and Lawrence was there before. Like, we, we don't see it in the movie, but he was involved in battles before Aqaba. And he'd actually even been there uh, in that area as a younger person on archaeological missions in Syria and Iraq and places of that nature before the war. Um Lawrence actually did know about Sykes-Pico long before he knew it in the movie and clearly must have been fine with it because it didn't change his approach to anything. Um, Out of fought for money initially, but he was on board eventually. Like, he wasn't just about the money. He was involved and down for this thing. Uh, and F- another thing I met, Faisal was way younger than Alec Guinness portrays him. He, Alec Guinness seems to be in about his 50s, but then that's like everything he's He in. always looks like he's in his 50s. He always looks like he's in his 50s. But Fi- uh, Faisal was actually, I think, 32 30. yeah, or thereabouts. Like, like he was pretty young. He was closer to Lawrence's age yeah, then. <laughs> exactly. The Ottomans were allied with the Germans, so this was part of the main part of the campaign in World War One, trying to take pressure off the Western Front where the trench warfare was going on. So yeah, so there's a little bit of the stuff about the history there. I mean, there's so much more. We should also mention, too, that after uh, his time in the army uh, during Arabia, he gets out of the army, but he tries to rejoin as an enlisted man rather than as an officer. And he uh, uses a fake name a couple times, and eventually they take him. Uh, but then he's figured out, and he's kicked out, and he ends up joining the Air Force as a mechanic. And he does that for a lot of years. Uh, uh, and he basically retreated from public life at that point, too. So it wasn't until his death that I think people heard about him again. Well, you can hear all about it in Lawrence After Arabia. Which we will watch, no doubt, at some point. Yes, that one I did find. <laughs> I got a lot of background stuff sure. to, to get through here. So so there was talk of making this movie, Jason, as going as far back as the 40s. 1940s, not 1840s. That I don't think they were making thinking about making films back then. Making films about things that hadn't happened yet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, there was there was talk about Lawrence Olivier in the role back then. There was talk about Robert Donnett from the Thirty Nine Steps. Oh. Yeah, playing the You'd role. Be all right. He's a Canadian, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, all this planning fell through. There was also a play called Ross, which was being developed into a screenplay. At the same time as, and, oh, but with, by the way, we're talking about Lawrence's alleged homosexuality. This play was like that. Yeah. Like it was like 90% on that. Was Ross the name of a companion of his or it may have been one of his fake names that he used? No, I'm, I'm really I not. I think it was one of his fake names. I'm really not sure. It may, it may have been. Um, but producer Sam Spiegel, who was the producer on this movie, was really furious that this play was being adapted because they he was already trying to adapt Lawrence of Arabia mm. as a movie. So when he found out about that these people were making 
making this other Lawrence of Arabia movie, he basically did everything in his power to shut them down. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that it was about his alleged homosexuality. I think it was just, I don't want them making, it's like if me, you, you and I went and tried to make like a Mario Brothers movie and 20th Century Fox was like, no, 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 we're making the Mario Brothers movie and they shut us down. The thing is, um, this, when when the play Ross was going to end up being adapted into a film, do you know who was going to perform the title role? Who? Our old friend Dirk Bogard. Oh. So he was kind of devastated because see, that was going to be a big thing for him. Yeah. And in the play... Alec Guinness portrayed Lawrence. Mm. So, interesting little uh, connection there. Mm. Before David Lean signed on to this project, though, do you know what movie he wanted to make? What movie? Gandhi. Huh. And you think Alec Guinness and Brownface in this movie. Alec Guinness was going to play Mahatma Gandhi. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He even met with a... Uh, David Lean even met with a former prime minister of India, whose name I cannot pronounce and I will not try. Uh, but he... Just, like, lost interest in the project, basically. And he did, like, extensive and expensive pre-production because he's David Lean. And then he just said, oh, no, I won't do it anymore. <laughs> like, just threw it away. I mean, he already had done Bridge on the River Quiet at this point, so oh. he was top shit as far Absolutely. as filmmakers are concerned. Now, the, the script, there's a little controversy over the script. So, Ro- Michael Wilson wrote the first draft of the script, and he had a lot more heavy focus on the politics of the Arab Revolt and, like, you know, the stuff behind it. Hmm. This movie does have the, some of that, does have a lot of that. It's not English patient where it's almost all just the romance story. But Lean hated the first draft, and he basically got his old buddy Robert Bolt, who, of course, helped him on uh, Bridge on the River Kwai and also with, I think, Shivago. Basically got Robert Bolt to redo the entire script. So Robert Bolt ended up writing, like, almost all the dialogue, where Michael Wilson, some of his stuff was still in there. And there was a big controversy about this. So Michael Wilson basically was also a blacklisted screenwriter. So David Lean was able to kind of use that to his advantage to get (laughs) Michael Michael Wilson's name taken off the credits. Mm-hmm. Of course, you watch it now, it's been re-added to the film now that, you know, we we know all this information. And we're past the whole Red Scare bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> How much of that was even true anyway? Yeah. People being comments. People went to meetings. That was what it was. It's like, oh, I went, I was expressed interest back when it was cool. A meeting? Yeah. You're fired. Casting-wise, Jason, the first choice to play Lawrence in this movie, once the movie was all lined up with the David Lean and everything, was Albert Finney. Oh. Uh, I think this is the second movie we've mentioned Albert Finney was supposed to be in, like, say, second David Lean movie that Albert Finney was supposed to be in. I believe he's also supposed to be in Dr. Zhivago. Huh. And he actually began work on this movie for two days. They filmed for two days. He left the project. He was, like, fired, left, whatever, and reasons unknown to this day. Weird. We don't know what happened with and Albert he's Finney. he's since passed, has he not? He has, so yeah. and David we'll Lean, know. so we'll never know. Yeah. Other people considered for the title role were Marlon Brando. Hmm. Anthony Perkins huh? and Montgomery Clift. Actually, Anthony Perkins might be able to pull it off. I think Anthony Perkins would have been interesting. Producer Sam Spiegel didn't like Clift. Uh, he worked with him on another movie, and he thought he he didn't get along with him. Mm. And he didn't really love the idea of Peter O'Toole at first. Yeah. But he eventually just kind of let it lean have his actor that he wanted. Uh, funny enough, uh, somebody who collaborated with Dave Lean a lot, Noel Coward, he actually saw the movie and said... Uh, you know, if Peter O'Toole had been any prettier, we could have called this movie Florence of Arabia. <laughs> Ouch! Zing! <laughs> In terms of Alec Guinness, he had said that he tried his best to look like Prince Faisal as much as possible, which, mm. yes, includes a little browning. Yeah. 
he said that he actually would. Now this is coming from Alchemist, so I don't know if this is true. But he said he when he when he walked around between takes and stuff, people in the village would see him as Prince Faisal and think that it was Prince Faisal, even though he had been dead for what four like through 30 years at this yeah. point it's been a while yeah and he said his arab accent that he kind of used throughout the movie he developed it from a conversation he had with omar sharif on set mm. so i guess omar kind of guided him on doing the accent david lean doesn't get along with a lot of his actors as no. we know jack hawkins uh who taunted lean with a celebratory dance at the end of one of the shooting days uh, uh jose ferrer who was paid more than O'Toole and Sharif combined, plus he received a Porsche. Wow. But he hated that his role was so small. Well, shit. I mean, you got to look at what you got paid for it. It was a day's work. It's crazy, right? And Anthony Quayle, who wanted to play Brighton as an idiot, while Lean thought he should be more honorable. Mm. They all clashed with David Lean in some form or another. Another weird casting thing that almost happened. Kirk Douglas was going to play Jackson Bentley, the journalist. What are you doing, Lawrence? (laughs) But he wanted star salary, and he wanted top billing after O'Toole. So it was Peter O'Toole, Kirk Douglas, (laughs) Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, And he was turned down. Yeah. Uh, They then cast another actor named Edmund O'Brien. He actually filmed two scenes, but he had a heart attack and had to be replaced at the very last minute by the actor who plays uh, Jackson Bentley. Wow. So you, you kind of mentioned the accuracy. I also want to just tag on to that and say that Lawrence, Faisal, Auda, Allenby, Murray, Faraj, and Dowd, Gazim, and Talal, who's the uh, the one that charges the Turks yep. later in that battle, were all real people. Yes. However, Ali is kind of a comp based on a combination of various Arab leaders. He's, he's uh, yeah, and, and there, there was a guy that was his brother that fit the role of that, but it wasn't exactly. Right. Mr. Dryden, like Claude Rains' character, he's just he, created by the screenwriters to kind of represent the civilian and political wing of like British interests. Yeah. Kind of as a balance point for Allenby's military guy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the G Man. Colonel Brighton is a composite of officers that served Lawrence, the Turkish Bay. Well, I was wanted to say about that. Yeah, it's like we, in the movie, we get the sense that Lawrence is the only British officer doing anything there are in many. the Middle East, but there was many of them yeah. that were also leading guerrilla parties and, and attacking railways. And Every time you things. say guerrilla, I just <laughs> can't think of the actual other guerrilla parties. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, the Turkish Bay, actually, a lot of people think that Lawrence made up this story. This yeah. whole thing about him getting tortured and stuff. A lot of yeah. people think that was not, that didn't actually happen. Um, Jackson Bentley is also a fake character, the journalist. And the guide that Lawrence takes with him is also based on a, another person with a different name. Mm-hmm. So, Now, while they filmed this movie, Jason, the filming of this movie was kind of crazy. Yeah. So, screenwriter Robert Bolt. Got himself arrested oh. in the middle of filming. He went to an anti-nuclear uh, arms protest. Oh, goodness me, no. So, um, in the middle of a, d- a demonstration, because they're out in the Middle East filming this thing. Yeah. And Sam Spiegel actually managed to get him out of jail by getting him to sign this, uh, it's called a recognizance of good behavior. Yeah. So, he got him out of jail in the middle of filming. Peter O'Toole hated riding the camel. Mm. And if you notice, I guess in a few shots, it's it's... More obvious than others, but they're all the people riding camels. Most of them are actually sitting on a big piece of foam mm-hmm. above the camel. And O'Toole um, was the first one to do it, and everyone just kind of followed him. And of course, that stems from the fact that he almost fell off. He yeah. fell off and almost died. Also, Egypt was the only Arab nation to not ban the film's release because all the other Arab nations thought it was kind of a disrespectful portrayal of their yeah. culture. Egypt couldn't ban it though, because I bet you Omar Sharif was a big box office draw. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's why. I think, honestly, because he was from Egypt, or he's Egyptian. Yes. I, I think that's the same thing. I think it might be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm American. I'm American. I'm also from America. <laughs> 
I want to add more inaccuracies here because there's there's a lot of them don't get us wrong guys this is a a legendary movie but there are some things that they change if you're writing a paper for history class maybe don't rely on this movie rely on lawrence after arabia that's right (laughs) i mean aesthetically lawrence is like five foot five peter o'toole six foot two that's a huge difference right difference for sure uh, Lawrence and Allenby were apparently pretty close. Mm. Like General Allenby kind of gives him a hard time later in the movie. Apparently Lawrence and Allenby got along great and they they were not at odds. Murray was also apparently pretty fond of Lawrence, but Lawrence apparently wasn't too fond of him. Yeah. So <laughs> but I think this is all like, you know, dramatic you know, changing it for dramatic purposes. Yeah, yeah. Give him somebody to struggle against a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Auda, of course, not necessarily being uh, persuaded by money as much as it's initially shown in the movie. as I understand but then later was on board yeah actually the biggest critic of the, the accuracy of this movie and I tried really hard to find a clip because he actually did like talk show uh, runs around the time the movie was coming out yeah. was Professor Arnold Lawrence yes that's right the protagonist's younger brother oh, wow. T.E. Lawrence's younger brother and literary executor <laughs> so he sold the rights to Seven Pillars of Wisdom to Sam Spiegel for mm-hmm. 25,000 pounds yeah he went on a campaign. He went. He did the talk show run. He was saying like, basically, this movie is so, uh, such an inaccurate portrayal of Lawrence that I don't even recognize my own brother as being that character. Like yeah. he just, that's what he says. He said he found the film pretentious. He said his brother was one of the nicest, kindest, and most exhilarating people I've ever known. He said he often appeared cheerful when he was unhappy. And he said to the New York Times, he said, This film is a psychological recipe. Take an ounce of narcissism, a pound of exhibitionism, a pint of sadism, a gallon of bloodlust, and a sprinkle of other aberrations and stir well. He was not a fan. No. (laughs) But I'm going to say this right now, though. Like, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying he's right. Mm. But he is his brother. Yeah. So I feel like there's some bias Right, right off the bias, bat. Sure, but also, you know, the bias combined with the fact that he knew him way better than probably anybody uh, that was still alive at that point. True, but also it's it's also the whole thing where like, well, were you there with him yeah. while all this was going on? Like, can you really attest to everything being a giant lie? Like, but again, like you can't you can't take Hollywood movies for history purposes. You got to dig deeper. You got to read. You gotta sure, read, read Lawrence's book. Read uh, what books about him, and you get a better sense of the guy. Other people were mad too. The Allenby family lodged a formal complaint against Columbia Pictures for their portrayal of him. Mm. Descendants of Auda Abu Tai, the character that Anthony Quinn plays, and you know the character that uh, Ali was based on, mm. Sharif Nazir, went further. They even sued Columbia, despite the fact that the film said Ali was a fictional composite character. Mm. Uh, the Auda case went on for 10 years before it was finally dropped. So nothing came of it, but it, they were they were holding steadfast for 10 years trying to get something out of it. Yeah. So that's uh, that, that to me is pretty crazy. Well, it was a successful movie. It made a lot of money. Deep dive. Right from the beginning, I like the, mo- the, the whole motorcycle thing is interesting because I don't know if you know, I'm mean, sure you know, so you've seen it multiple times, yeah. but when he's driving down, before we even get to the crash, like with mm-hmm. the kids, there's all these like warning signs, like just like this haunting foreshadowing yeah. that something terrible is going to happen. And I'm sure like a lot of people watching this, a lot of people watching the movie probably know that he died on a motorcycle crash, so mm-hmm. they know what's coming, but it's all this stuff. It's like, oh, is it going to happen here? Oh, is it going to happen there? Like they really kind of build the tension. Yeah. It's kind of like a, uh, like a microcosm of the movie itself because... Because there's all these little tense scenes of mm. of traveling, right? Yes. I mean, what do you see him doing most of the movies on camel? And you're starting the movie with him on a motorcycle. Like, it's the yeah. most different... He's moving from left to right the whole time. Yeah. Another thing I wrote down was... Uh, I, I think when we talked about the English patient, 
you kind of said and mentioned something along the lines of like this is like a shitty Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And I kind of understand the the comparisons people make now because I mean even when we start the movie we have Lawrence as a kind of cartographer yeah. type deal just like Almacy in the English patient. Mm-hmm. We have like a there's a troubled character who's, you know, got flaws for sure. We have a movie full of absolutely stunning shots of the desert and the, yep. the, the and the the landscape is just absolutely beautiful. And I mean the framing device, we've talked about this framing device mm-hmm. so many times. We start off with the main character either dying or dead yep. and then flashing back to the movie. That's this whole movie. Yes. Like the beginning part where we see the little remembrances of Lawrence and like oh he's past. That's all we get. Like yep. the rest of it's the past. Yeah. Um which I guess that's a little different from English pages. because we don't, don't go back and forth. Mm. But that kind of reminded me of it too. It's so what like, you're saying, Brendan, is that this movie is exactly the same as The English Patient. In every single way. All right. Although, again, fishhook count, zero. I actually do want to ask you a question. Because sure. we, we played the clip earlier in the movie. But you know all those guys that are like remembering Lawrence yeah. and say like various things. The one that is so offended that says, I, I, I... He was a great man. Yeah, I refute everything you say or whatever. He does shake his hand. We he do shows see that at the scene. very end of the movie, and, he, and Lawrence is kind of like in a daze. Yeah, and he shakes his hand at Damascus. Grabs his hand and shakes it, like just like, oh, yeah, hey. And he says he thinks he knows him. Is he the same person who smacks him when he can't tell, like, it's Lawrence? Like, when he's wearing the robes over his face, he thinks he's just an Arab, and he, like, smacks him on his way I wonder, the that's what I was thinking. I feel like he must have been somebody re- much earlier in the movie that must have done something to him or yeah, something. Yeah, because, sure. because I thought that there was, like, a funny irony there of, like, him being so offended by the idea that people would think... Lawrence is this bad person but this is an almost four hour movie and there was a long time in between those incidents to remember for sure yeah like I well I and I and I watched it twice which is crazy you are crazy <laughs> but I wanted to get the full scope of this I mean you watched it more than twice have, in your yes, life though so I for mean sure. this is like what your 10th t- time watching no, this no I don't was that much it's probably my 5th or 6th yes 500th yeah <laughs> of the day I'm pretty sure he's the same one that's Maxim which makes it even funnier that he's so because even when he shakes his hand he's like uh, Lawrence says, like, do I know you? And he's like, I don't believe you, sir. I don't believe so, sir. I'd remember you if I met you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think he did, but, like, he didn't know it was Lawrence. He's a hangers-on. He he's the he's the, uh, the equivalent of, uh, like, oh, yeah, I'm so sad that that celebrity died. My uncle knew his cousin. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Man, okay, we're going to talk about the influence of this movie, obviously, in a bit. But, like, I got serious... Indiana Jones vibes from Lawrence's character, like yeah. j- just the—I mean, not the same character. He's, not not he's, the adventurous, like like in the straight up like adventurous sense. But yeah, he's cocky, he, he, and he definitely is an adventurer. He's, he's cocky and charismatic. Cocky, charismatic. He's he's looking for a fight. Yeah, he's he's in the desert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it. it I got a lot of times watching this movie. I was, I thought of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, maybe even before, because as I said, he had done archaeological work in Syria and Iraq before the war. So who knows? Maybe Indiana oh, Jones is based shit. on Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> well, and we'll talk about how that's probably not far off. <laughs> Could the next movie see Indy leading like a group of Arabs in a <laughs> revolt? I hope so. Oh, I do have a clip here I want to play. Lawrence talking to his guide because he asks Lawrence like where he's from. Hmm. And I just really like this little exchange here. Truly now, you are a British officer? Yes. From Cairo? Yes. You did not ride from Cairo? No. Thank heaven. It's 900 miles. I came by boat. And before? From Britain? Yes. Truly? From Oxfordshire. 
Is that a desert country? No. Fat country. Fat people. You are not fat? No. I'm different. I'm not like all the other girls. Yeah, well, and he says fat country, fat people, but I think what he's really saying is greedy country, yeah. greedy people, and I'm not that. I'm I mean, it that. is it is pretty on the nose, Yeah, but I like that he just says, like, fat country, yeah. fat people. Like, it's, just just, a, it's so precise. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mention this when we were talking about the background, but we talked about, obviously, that famous shot where... Oh, I almost said Orson Welles. Omar Sharif is slowly coming into the into into the distance or yes. out of the distance, and I don't know if you know know this, but David Lean really just wanted to do that shot much longer. Yeah. Like he wanted to have it start with that spec and just not break until he came fully into this. And David Lean actually kind of felt the pressure a little bit to cut it down to cut back and forth mm. and that's one of his biggest regrets he said he wanted to just like keep that just, full that would be cool just that like a five minute straight shot of just Omar Sharif riding right up and then just no no break a shot just rides right up and immediately pulls his rifle out and shoots to Foss without him even going to get the gun just rides right up boom and it's crazy too because watching this I thought that is what the shot was so I think culture has kind of it's like a Mandela effect like culture has told me like oh there's that shot in Lawrence of Arabia where Omar Sharif just starts you barely see him and you he comes all the way into focus the light it never cuts away yeah. it's the whole thing it's like no it, it cuts away a couple times like it also is a, i wonder if uh, they were inspired in uh, monty python and the uh, holy grail to the scene where the two guards are standing there and lancelot is keeps running at them and it doesn't look like he's getting any closer and they keep cutting back to their faces and bum 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 and bum 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 and then he just suddenly runs up and stabs them i don't know <laughs> i love that scene <laughs> probably it sounds like a it sounds like similar there's also the thing like where Omar Sharif finally does shoot the guide in the head, and you can see the blood mm. as he's laying there. I don't know if you're watching, but the blood is actually slowly getting more and more and more and more. So they must have had like a pump pumping it out. No, but like it's so like it's just like very small. Like it's a corner of the screen, and you can just see it growing just and growing into and growing. The sand, yeah. It's crazy. Like we well, can see it on his white uh, headgear. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, I was just watching. I was like. That wasn't that big before. I was like, I wonder if it was a continuity thing. And then I looked at it. I'm like, no, it's growing. <laughs> they had a really good script supervisor on this movie. A con- continuity, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention too, I love the moment when the camels all wake up. They're sleeping in the desert and then everybody starts to get up and get ready to go. And the camels just sound like engines starting up. All of them just start like grunting and groaning. And it's like, gentlemen, start your engines. It's just that din of camels over everybody. <laughs> Man, now I want to see like a Fast and Furious movie with camel riding. That's right. Oh, Get me Jason Statham. Fast and Furious, Arabian Nights. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I I like to, um, this movie avoids a thing that I really hate in movies is when a character, two characters are supposed to be all of a sudden friends because the screenplay dictates it. I like how in this movie there's actually a reason for Ali to be a lot warmer to Lawrence. It's not just like, oh, you saved this guy I don't give a shit about. He kind of admires his bravery. Like, you went back and saved this guy who I don't give a shit about yeah. and got back all on your own. Yeah, and you didn't have to do that and you risked your life to do that and then he further cements it by delivering them victory at Aqaba. But it goes into this other thing too of like Lawrence, I feel like throughout this whole movie always wants to feel accepted. Yes, that's and we struggle. Get, that's his whole life I feel like has been struggling for acceptance. Yeah, because we get a bit of a, ba- a bit of the background on that when he's talking to Ali. We hear about he's basically like a bastard child because mm-hmm. he said his father, because he asks him like, oh, aren't you going to follow in the footsteps of your father? And he's like, well, my father didn't marry my mother. Like it was, he just slept with someone and had me, right? 
and he, you know, is a bastard child. He's in service of a general that's always annoyed by him. Uh, the Arabs don't like him at first. Mm-hmm. And now he finally has this warm acceptance. And I think that just, like, that shoots him into... Yeah, it shoots him into overdrive, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's found his place, and that's why he goes so hard on... Uh, on proving himself to these Arabs and then and then delivering them the victories they they want. And speaking of the Arabs, I love also that when he meets Auda and he says, "I'm here to help the Arabs." Yeah. And Auda says, "I'm not familiar with that tribe." Yeah, exactly. Because they're so broken up, they're so fragmented yeah, no, there's, that there's, there's no there's no view of like Arabs as a union. Yeah, there's no national identity amongst this ethnic group of people. They're just disparate tribes that have blood feuds with each other. Huh. That sounds like every group of people. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing is like if you look at human history, it's kind of it's over time. You've gone from small tribes to big tribes to to huge tribes to kingdoms to countries to nation states like over time, I mean eventually and I know there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that would uh, scream at me for even suggesting this but one day it'll all be one global government like that's just the progress of humanity I think and this is one of those steps and then you have you have the tribes they all work together they overthrow the powers that be they have a civil war somebody comes out on top and the stable system is established for the moment and Jason is working away at this guy, so be patient. We're, we're, we're going to get there, folks. Just be patient and send guns. I do like that, and I've noticed this in like all David Lean movies. I got, well, I mean, the, the other two that I've seen, yeah. particularly Kwai, is that David Lean has no problem mocking his own people. No, like, no, he's, no. He mocks the British in this movie with no qualms whatsoever. And they deserve it. Yeah, he makes no bones about it. Like the whole thing with the bar when they're in the bar in Cairo and they're mm-hmm. they're kind of bullying that that one of his, the, the assistant that's with him. Who, by the way, just watched like his friend die. Yeah. Like he's already traumatized and he's getting called like the, a wog and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just it's, uh, awful. They were terrible, terrible people back then. What about this scene? What about this scene? I want to ask you about this. So sure. we talked about Lawrence as like a god-like figure, like yeah. a Jesus-like figure. What about this scene where they take down that train? Yeah, and that guy shoots him in the arm. Yeah. Wings him. Wings him. And then keeps shooting and Lawrence just stands there. And just he just keeps missing him. And the bullets just miraculously uh miss him. And then Auda comes over and solves the problem with a quick sword strike to the sword strike to the neck. <laughs> and then and then Lawrence says something along the lines of like, I can only be killed by a golden bullet. Yeah. It's like, whoa, buddy. He's getting a little weird. And then he climbs up on top of the train and has to do a spin around for everybody. And and we have that famous scene that you see every Oscars of him standing on top of the train and everybody cheering. <laughs> so do you think this is him like this is him like buying into this whole thing where I, I can't so. I can't be killed. Yeah, I think he's hitting a I think he's hitting a point, and then that point is quickly uh, uh, reversed by his experience with the Bay in uh, in the torture scene. Yeah, that's what I think that turns his attitude completely. That certainly around. humbles him. Yeah, I mean, he even like he's even getting when he's getting interviewed by Jackson Bentley, the journalist. Mm. He even says like I will be the one that brings peace to the Arabs, and Bentley's like, uh, okay, yeah. buddy, whatever Good luck, you say. Friend. Yeah. Um, oh, an interesting little fact that apparently I didn't know is that apparently Lawrence didn't really like having his pictures taken either. It wasn't a, like a cultural hmm. thing. He just didn't like it. And apparently most of the pictures you see of him were, were sneakily snapped while he was out on campaign. I really like the combination of those two words. Sneakily snapped? Yeah, I yeah. like it. Um, there's also little things later on. Like uh, after the Turkish base scene, he's talking to Allenby. Allenby says, there's blood on your back. Hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously, literally, there's blood on his back. But it's almost like, you know, there's so much bloodshed behind you. Like, yeah. what what you've just done for the first whatever of the movie. Yeah, you've just like, slaughtered your way through Arabia. Yeah. And, of course, he that's when he has his emotional meltdown. They, they go through all these Turks. And then by the end of the movie, 
he's like I don't know like I don't know if I'm looking too much into this, but I notice he's like lit a lot more in shadow. Mm. Like when he's standing there and they're talking about how he's being promoted colonel and Prince Faisal's literally in the room negotiating that whole thing about yeah. the about Damascus. Mm-hmm. He's almost entirely in shadow. You see his eyes yeah. lit up and that's it. Had the the Captain Kirk uh light on the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a total character change by the end of the film. Well, it makes sense, too, that this guy is going to be haunted by this for the rest of his life. His experiences, his having to kill people, all these things, you know. I mean, any, any veteran that came back, I'm sure, did, was not completely trouble-free. And especially yeah. a guy like this who'd been in an intense ask. Like, he wasn't... In, I mean, to be fair, the trenches in Europe would have been pretty intense, too. But, like, not in the same way that riding across the fucking desert and, you know, riding in on horseback and charging with a sword. Like... Yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, we it's nicely wrapped up with the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. kind of ties it all together. Brings it all back to the start. So, Jason, before we start talking about our opinion, our, our well, we talk about our opinions, but yeah. before we start talking about our, you know, ending comments or something or whatever, I just want to get into the critique sure. of the movie. I want to hear what people had to say. Well, this was um, seven Oscars. Uh, it won seven Oscars. Nice. It was nominated for three. I'll tell you the ones it was nominated for and didn't win first. So it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. The winner that year was To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, it was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Omar Sharif. Mm-hmm. The winner that year was Ed Begley for Sweet Bird of Youth. So of Ed Begley Jr.'s dad. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we all know Sweet Bird of Youth. Yeah, a classic, classic film. Fuck you. You were a white guy and you got it because he was brown. One of his eight nominations, he never won an Oscar. Best Actor, Peter O'Toole. Uh, the winner that year was Gregory Peck for To Kill a Mockingbird. I, I can't mean, really fault that. You can't really, yeah. So this is what it wins, okay? Best editing. Yep. Best color cinematography. I mean, How yes. How can you not? Best color art direction. Absolutely. <laughs> I almost think like what I'm saying is like best color cinematography. <laughs> like, they had to like give it to a white person and a black person. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, best sound. Mm-hmm. Best, this is my favorite category name, by the way. Best music score, substantially original. <laughs> best director and best picture. Jason. It sweeps. British Academy Film Awards. It is nominated for Best Foreign Actor for Anthony Quinn, mm-hmm. and it wins Best British Screenplay, Best British Actor for Peter O'Toole, Best British Film, and Best Overall Film. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it does really well there. And I mean, just its like influence on culture. Like This movie influenced so many directors. Like The list goes... The, I'll give you like just some of this list. Yes. George Lucas, sure. Star Wars. Absolutely. Sam Peckinpah. Yep. Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Ridley Scott. Apparently uh, Prometheus was, he said, well, he used a lot of Lawrence of Arabia. Brian De Palma. George Miller. Mad Max. Yeah. I mean, come oh, on. absolutely. Oliver Stone. And of course, the big one, Steven Spielberg. And you have to understand, I mean, in, in my mind, and I'm sure people will agree with this. I sure hope they will, because if not, I'm coming to find them. But uh, oh. in my mind, this is one of those absolutely just like iconic canon films of human history. This is one of those movies that, um, like anytime there's a reference to a desert in a show, like a cartoon or some other thing, there's probably going to be some little tip to Lawrence of Arabia. Whether it's a, a play on the theme or, or just a, the guy wearing the outfit or something, it's 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 built into culture. Like like in the same way that Casablanca is, you know, in the way, you know, where the hill of beans or like... Or a, Citizen Kane. Kid, Citizen Kane, like all or, these lines yeah, and things yeah, that are yeah. built into the language of film and into the culture of film and into the culture of North America and the Western world. I mean... I would argue, outside of maybe Clockwork Orange, this is probably the most influential movie on this list. I'd even go further and say that it's certainly the most influential one I think that we've watched. 
I mean, we watched Clockwork Orange, so we I did. Yes, yeah, so and that's very influential too. But I would say Lawrence yeah. Arabia is even more. Sorry, I shouldn't say influential. I'm saying it's um, it may be the most well known, the 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 biggest one. It's up there. Yeah, I think I think uh, like that's why I say Clockwork Orange is close. Like because yes. I think also both is well known for sure. Huge like movies. Who, and and, and almost, same thing too. I mean, Clockwork Orange maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but is integrated into the culture in a similar way. Yeah, where those references just keep popping up throughout everything. I mean, just to keep going with this, the massive impact it had on culture. I mean, we're talking about the BFI list, but I mean, it's also number seven on the AFI top 100. It's been preserved in the, in the National Film Registry. The only critics that I could really find that had anything really negative to say about, and you can't find their reviews anywhere. Ali Akba uh, of the Cairo Times says, "No, Bosley Crother of the New York Times, who we've talked about a few times, and Andrew Saris was another critic that." And they didn't, I don't think they hated it. I think they just had some things to say. They weren't on 100% on board. Yeah. But I mean, universally, people loved it. Yeah. And it is still regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. So Jason, what do you think? Bad, not quite as good as The English Patient overall. <laughs> well, if it just had had more fish hooking, Brendan, then we could have had something here. But uh, I mean, no, we've come to the wrap up here. So what do you want to say about that? I, mean, I want to say that this is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Uh, it is definitely in my top five. It is one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever created. Um, it is plenty of, you know, we've plenty to criticize about it, but you can't go wrong. If you could set aside four hours to watch this movie once in your life, fucking do it. It was worth it. And then you can feel smart because then you can know all these references that you'll see in pop culture from it. Simpsons have done it so many times. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You say anytime somebody's in the desert, chances are there's going to be some Lawrence Arabia reference. Yeah, exactly. Like Jason had watched this movie many times. This was my first time watching it. And like much like Bridge on the River Kwai, I was, I was angry at the world yeah. because why haven't I watched it until this point? And I, deb- I even debated with myself, like, you know, I was thinking like, well, which, which do I think is better? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you got Lawrence and Bridge on the River Kwai. And if I had to kick a lean movie off the list so far, I would probably just kick off Dr. Zhivago yeah. oh, absolutely. as, as great as it is, as good as it is. But I mean, like it's definitely the lesser of the three we've watched. And, and, and I mean, Kwai has the William Holden stuff, I think, which we kind of said wasn't the greatest part yeah. of the movie, which it was good. It's fine. But this doesn't really have that aspect. Like no. there's nothing in this movie that I would really cut out. There's not much in terms of B plot in this movie. It's all focused on Lawrence. There's not a whole lot of fat to trim here. No. There's, it's very, it's all pretty substantial. It's paced very well for a four hour movie. Like I say, if you cut out a lot of the, of the vistas and such, you could probably trim it down substantially, but it would also take a lot away from the movie. It would take a lot away from the place of the movie. Well, exactly. And it's not just people walking through a desert, like the, no. you know, the criticism, the you might hear the criticisms or whatever. It's, Although walking through the desert is very tense, like you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. It's unpredictable. It's very unpredictable. Lots of stuff happened. I was like, whoa, like the quicksand shit. I yeah. didn't see that coming. No. Like all the people getting, all the characters that get killed and meet their fate. Like it's, I, I think it's like, it's very entertaining. I don't think it's like a stuffy film at all. No, and it is clearly, uh, in my opinion anyways, uh, David Lean's magnum opus. It is the greatest film he ever made and it is the, the stick by which all other epics are measured. Um, if you look at any movie that is like a, a three hour plus historical epic, chances are it's going to be compared to Lawrence of Arabia and for good reason because yeah. Lawrence of Arabia is so damn good. And that's why you can go watch something like Cleopatra and be like, oh, this is this is shit compared to Lawrence. It's four hours long. Why are we watching this? Rex Harrison, why were you so terribly miscast? Or Alexander? Oliver Stone's oh, I, Alexander. I didn't actually Alexander. ever watch that. It's uh, not good. No. It's not good. No, it's a shame. And again, I, you know what? Watching it and thinking back to Alexander, I feel like that's the movie Oliver Stone took the most influence from Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. I mean, didn't utilize it in the best way, but hey. But Jason, 
Brendan, that wraps up our discussion on Lawrence of Arabia. Please, just folks, just go watch it. Just watch it. It's so good. Watch it and then watch the 1998 Avengers right after. Exactly. Because <laughs> they're both the same movie. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. They're, they're, every movie's Lawrence of Arabia. We've come to that conclusion. <laughs> yeah, that's our conclusion. So we can't put it on the list because every movie is Lawrence of Arabia. That's right. But Jason, we have come to the point on the show where we have to find out what we're going to talk about next week. And I sure hope it's less than three hours and 45 minutes long. If it is Gandhi, I am quitting the show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what we're going to do, Jason, we are going to roll these dice. We have a 10 D, a tens D10 and a D10. Right you got one. it. And the number we get on these dice... Well, tell us what number on the BFI Top 100 list that we are going to do next. I have a physical list. You can hear it. I'm shaking the paper around. That is paper made from trees. An authentic touch that you get with For Screen and Country. And I believe it is my turn. All right. Because I was the one who announced Lawrence of Arabia. That's right. So now you get to roll the dice and I get to announce what our next film will be. All right, Jason. So we're going to roll the tens one first. All right. Give me that millionaire music. 60. 60. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. 63. 63. Passport to Pimlico. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You may be wondering why I just clapped my hands. We've been like joking about this one behind the scenes forever because it's the one of the more obscure ones on the list. I'm just so glad we picked it. All right. 1949, directed by Henry Cornelius, Passport to Pimlico is next week's film. And I know it's a comedy. Oh, that's good. It's It's a, yeah. I'm excited then. All right. It'll be a nice palate cleanser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's not three hours long. Yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> so passport to Pimlico, Pimlico, Pimlico? Uh, we'll say Pimlico unless we're, when we watch the movie, I'm sure it'll say the name of the town. What if it didn't? We're on the road to Pimlico. Hey, is, uh, oh, is this a Bing Crosby, Bob Hope joint? <laughs> it's a Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Bobby Hope, eh? <laughs> Bob Hope and Peggy Crosby. Oh, little Peggy Crosby with your little cute face. I, I'll pay you with a bag of oranges. Oh. I just think that's so funny that we got that movie. I know, just a weird random reference and now it's here. <laughs> so, I guess, yeah, so next week it's going to be a real change of pace. Passport to Pimlico, 1949. 1949. Henry Cornelius. You know it. Great name. Number 63 on the list. All right. So until that time, Jason, we uh, are going to plug. Got to plug. Should, you should follow us on the Twitter bot at BFI underscore pod. And you should follow Jason at. That's me, Jason McLeod, at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D on Twitter. And you can follow his sand blog where he talks about all the movies that have sand in them, including Lawrence of Arabia, English Patient. And the greatest movie to ever come directly, you, you can trace a line directly to Lawrence of Arabia, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't like sand, of course. It really is. That's the truth of that movie, Brendan. <laughs> so, I guess, with all of that, I just have one thing to say to you, Jason. Say away, Brendan. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Uh, Perhaps I should move to the Arabian Desert, and there I can teach people to be Jedi. Yes, that's a smart idea. I come from a land, from a faraway place, where the caravan camels roam. Where it's flat and immense, and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. When the winds from the east and the suns from the west and the sand in the glass is right, 
Come on down, stop on by, hop a carpet and fly to another Arabian night. Arabian nights, like Arabian days, more often than not. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit With a one last plot holes a gratuitous movies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.